Lord, bless us in this study this morning. May we find true rest in leaning back into your arms and knowing that you are the wise and righteous one. Bless these words we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our introduction every Sunday, by the way. Get used to it. Memorize it. Understand it. I'm going to just read verse 11. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. And I think I might have said this before. What an oxymoron that is. Every effort to rest. Oh, I'm, I'm resting, I'm resting, I'm really resting. <laughs> Every effort. What kind of an effort does it take to rest? What does it take to enter rest? Be still and know that I am God. That's one that comes to my mind just now. Be still. Quiet yourself. Come to that place of rest in Him. Focus on Him. Psalm says, This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell. For the Lord has chosen Zion. Who's Zion? The city of God. His people. Chosen Zion for His habitation for his living place that is our god and father make every effort to enter that rest the children of israel were promised through abraham isaac and jacob by god the living god that they would inherit a country a land and in that promise there was a requirement of obedience, of following the Lord, their maker, the one who had called them out from the nations. And I've mentioned this before. We might think that finding rest is something that we're in a passive mode or mood, but it really takes knowing who made us, knowing the one who made us, to really come to that place of acceptance and at rest. Even when there's trouble around you, even when there's disturbing things that upset you, we can rest because of who he is, our Father, who has everything in his control and his knowledge and power and ability. We can rest. And it takes not a matter of, but it takes of relaxing and resting in him. That is what this study in Joshua is about. We had this on the screen last week, but I think it's very important for us to look at this in further depth. Verse 14, For the men of Israel took some of the Gibeonites' provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord Joshua made peace with the Gibeonites and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation 
sworn oath to them. Okay, the background, I think most of you have heard this, read it, we've talked about it last week. Israel was told to go in and take the land. Joshua was their leader, and they were trusting in this leader as they had trusted in Moses. And they had had three battles. Two they had won, and one of them they had lost. And one of the wins then was the recovery of the loss. So they had taken down two cities. And now they were preparing to take more of the land that God had told them to go in and to possess it, to take it. This land did not belong to the tribes that had filtered in during the 400 plus years that Israel had been in Egypt. This was the promised land that God had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so people who were not worshipers of God had infiltrated and set up fortified cities in that land. And now the people of Israel were ready to come back with a leader to take that land. But it had to be taken step by step. Because the promise of God had been every place you put your foot on it, that land shall be yours. Now, my feet are a little bit big, but can you imagine how many steps you'd have to take in order to be able to take over just the promised land? But that's what it literally said. Every place that your foot would land would be your land. They had to occupy it. They had to infiltrate it. They had to live there. They had to work the land. But this was a place of promise. And it was a place of rest for them. And that's the kind of oxymoronic, is that a word? Tension with this word of rest. All of us have a job to do. We have things that are necessary for us to take care of whether it's in our home or in our office or school or whatever, we have responsibilities. And most of us are held to that, and particularly in this nation. These responsibilities weigh us down. But we need to learn how to roll them over to the one who loves us best. Learn how to rest as believers. And sometimes I think we in the church lay even a heavier burden on people. And it shouldn't be that way. It should be that we know how to receive an assignment or a request and be able to say, okay, Lord, I've got this responsibility. I'm trusting in you to provide me with the means of how I will be able to execute, fulfill this promise that I've made. That is resting in the Creator who has given us work as a blessing and not a curse so that we begin to understand what rest is all about. It's about trusting our Maker, our Redeemer. That's the story. And I hope that we'll be able to put this in perspective. The Tanakh, which is the English version 
of the Hebrew Bible says, the men took their word because of their provisions and did not inquire of the Lord. That verse 14 reads it that way. Did not inquire. English NASB says, counsel. We need to lift our work, our calling, our responsibilities to the Lord and rest in his empowering us, giving us the ability to face every morning with an understanding that he is with us and wants to bless us and keep us and make us a blessing to other people. Verse 15 says, Joshua made peace with the Gibeonites and made a covenant with them. You notice the difference between verse 14 and verse 15. The men of Israel took some of the Gibeonites' provisions. And then in verse 15, it gets more specific. Joshua made peace with the Gibeonites and made a covenant with them. Now, this is a negative statement. This is a situation that often happens in our lives. It's happened in your life. It has happened in mine multiple times. When I've made decisions that were not the right decisions, and I didn't ask the Lord about it, and I just went ahead in my own wisdom and knowledge and understanding, and it was not the right decision. How does God fix our mess-ups? How does he come about to make something that we're disobedient? We neglected to ask him. We just went on our way and we just did it the way we wanted to do it. Or maybe there wasn't even any thought and it was, well, he told us to go into the land and we were to do this and that. Well, these guys, their story sounds pretty good. You know, they're worn out clothes and we even took some of the food and looked at it. Man, we wouldn't eat that stuff. It's rotted. And they made a decision to believe these people. And as we know the truth, those people were just within 10 or 15 miles of them. And they made it look like they came from a far, far country. They got tricked, the Israelites and Joshua. Joshua made peace with them. Okay, where do we go from here? We'll get back to this story, but I want to do some more application. Let me show you where my thoughts have gone this week. Finding rest in the counsel of the Lord. The leaders of the church must pray. Point B, the church must pray for their leaders. And point C, our prayers must be fervent and true. Aha! This is about prayer. You know that prayer is the number one work of the church? It's not the committee meetings. It's not the bulletin, making the bulletin. It's prayer. What did Jesus do before he went to the cross? He spent the night in prayer. And his disciples were asleep. Jesus was working. 
when his disciples were sleeping. And he's at work for us right now. And that is where the connection of prayer comes in here. So I want to talk about this, about prayer. Now, prayer is a hard subject to talk about because the first thing that a pastor or that you hear, at least your ear picks up on, you must pray. And you get this, oh, I know I don't pray enough and the pastor's going to make me feel guilty and I'm going to go home and I'll try tomorrow to, to pray with my wife or with my kids. or. And then sure enough, next morning you're on the train. We didn't even pray. We missed that time. And we get guilty. And it's, it's kind of like, boy, this isn't restful. This really is agitating to me. I don't know how I'm going to be able to face my day today. Let's look into this. The leaders of the church must pray. Okay, who are the leaders? Will all the leaders raise their hands, please? Aha, found one. Oh, another one, and another one. No, no, I want to know the real leaders in this church. Oh boy, I'm digging down too deep, right? You know that we have an assignment from the Lord. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's not just Kent or Makiku or Minoru or myself. That is all of us. That is a command to every one of us. And it's not just to the 12 disciples or the apostles. It's to all of us. Prayer is necessary for rest. And it's not falling asleep in prayer. I've done that. You know, in the church that I was raised in, the uh, people sat in chairs like this in the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. But what we did was we knelt at our chairs. How many have been in a church like that? Okay, okay, you can relate. Well, the kind of an interesting thing as a young boy during the prayer meeting, when somebody's praying, you hear, They must be praying, they're resting. <laughs> okay, let's just do a little bit of defining. Most leaders are natural fixers. Most leaders are natural fixers. And that goes from pastors to board members to church members. We want to fix something and make it right and set it right the way we think it should be. We need to learn to go immediately to prayer. We need to respond when the Lord draws our hearts, pray. And we're thinking, kneeling at the chairs. No, we can pray in season, out of season, anywhere, even in the trains. Make your commute to Ikebukuro or to Shinjuku or to Timbuktu, make that your prayer time. Don't just sit there numbly looking at the spot on the floor in the train. 
Use that time. It's valuable. Wait for the Father's timing and leading in terms of really specific prayer. He wants us to be making prayer a priority, not just a routine that we do. We're afraid to tell anyone we struggle with prayer. I fall in this category. You know, if I say, pray for me, then I'm making myself vulnerable. And I'm not that vulnerable a person. I want to put on a good show of what a good pastor I am. If I shared with you what my real thoughts are about pastoring, you'd all leave this church right now. <laughs> it is hard work being a leader. And I'm not talking just about pastoring. I'm talking about you that are on committees and doing things here in the church and nobody ever sees it and acknowledges it or knows it because you do your job here. But it does take struggle and prayer is also one of those areas and probably the hardest thing to do is to pray. Everything works against prayer. Ask for prayer. It's not a sign of weakness. Put everything aside until you've prayed. We do far too much church in our own ability. How many pray about cleaning the church? Learn to value prayer as a strategy. Okay, and then accept downtime as an opportunity to pray. And I already talked about that on your train ride down to Shinjuku. The church must pray for their leaders. And this means that not just the pastors, not just the council, but to pray for those who are mentoring you or are trying to lead you along in the Christian life. We need to pray for those who care for us. It's kind of like paying for something that you've already received and you already spent it. But because of the investment that they've made in your life, you're paying back to the Father who will in turn bless them. The church must pray for their leaders. And I'm using leaders as a very broad term here. Even parents are leaders in this fellowship in the Church of Jesus Christ. The false assumption is our leaders don't need our prayers. Everyone under the age of 18, do you need your parents? Do you need your mom and dad? Yes, you do. You need your parents to guide you and to be thankful to the Lord for giving you parents who love you and appreciate you. That goes for all of us. You know what? Paul asked for prayer many times. This is a list here. If you want to take your picture, Marty, this is... <laughs> Wait till I get all these up here. Ask your leader, how can I pray for you? There are some leaders here 
that are carrying some pretty heavy loads and responsibility and perhaps are discouraged. How can I pray for you? And then number three is, we are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. We don't understand this concept at all. What does it mean to be members one of another? Do you know what that means? I am responsible to pray for you. You're responsible to pray for me. Because we are living in the same resource. Our Father, our Heavenly Father, in His gift, His riches, through Jesus Christ to us. We're all drawing from the same well. We're all receiving from the same bank, the same account. And we are tied together. And that requires that we understand this. And we ask these questions. And we become dependent upon each other. Our prayers must be fervent and faithful. Proactive prayers rather than passive prayers. This is Ephesians 6, 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Ephesians 6, 18. Our prayers must be fervent and faithful. Warfare mentality. Warriors, not wimps. Do you think of yourself as a warrior? Particularly when you kneel down and you close your eyes or keep your eyes open and you're praying? Do you feel like you're a warrior? It's more of an attitude of a being a wimp, isn't it? You're down on your knees and you're not looking around to be a warrior looking for danger. But prayer is this attitude. Because ultimately, he is the warrior. Remember, we started this series. He is the commander-in-chief of Joshua and Israel. Joshua saw that man with a sword drawn. Who was that? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our commander-in-chief. And we are part of his army. We need to look at ourselves that way. For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. And then thirdly, expect results. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's an Old Testament promise that is good as this day. And here's the right response. Joshua 9, 24 to 27, for the Gibeonites answered Joshua and said, because it was certainly told your servants 
that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land. They knew it. They knew it. Everybody knew it. And it's not these poor people in this land of Canaan that the Jews came in and killed them. No, this was not their land. They were not followers of God. They were vile. Some of the diggings that we talked about, archaeological findings in Jericho, remember? And in other places, in I, show vile, the vileness of the societies that were living there. What was going on? Killing babies and incredible artifacts in their vile, vile worship. These were actually the true God haters. They knew that the children of Israel were there to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore, we feared greatly for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now behold, we are in your hands. Do as it seems good and right in your sight to do to us. You know what that says? They were believers. They were seeing and knowing and understanding. This is what they say. Now behold, we are in your hands. Do as it seems good and right in your sight to do to us. And thus he did to them and delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation, for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place he would choose. And at that time, it was the tabernacle that they carried around and the Gibeonites followed and got the wood, got the water. Here's just the list of God's grace. You remember Rahab, we talked about her from Jericho. Rahab became part of the lineage of David and Jesus. The Gibeonites became servants for the tabernacle. The tabernacle resided twice in the city of Gibeon. One of David's mighty men was a Gibeonite. God spoke to Solomon at Gibeon. The Gibeonites helped build the walls of Jerusalem. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you that you are a merciful, merciful God. Whoever turns to you will receive salvation. And we thank you that you found us, you sought us out, and you brought us, heathen that we were, and you made us your own through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your great promises. Thank you for your mercy and your grace to us. May we be those who know how to come to you as our Father, and seek you for our families, our friends, our company, the strangers we meet on the way. This is your call to your people, to be in season and out of season in prayer. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to make this message 
real in my life, not just to preach it, but to live it, believe it, exercise it. For your glory and for your honor and for the work of your church in this day and age that we live. These are serious days. These are days when we, as believers in Jesus Christ, need to know that his coming is very soon. And so we rest in you and in your calling for each one of us. Thank you for the joy that it is to be your servant. Thank you for the joy that it is to come to you and say, Father, forgive them. Bring my friends to you. Bring my family to you. You do the work. We do the resting. We put this in your good hands and wait on you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has worked every good work for our salvation. Thank you. Amen.